Welcome to Curva Mundial. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Curva Mundial. On this episode, we head to Berlin, Germany, via Ohio, thanks to our next guest, who is the host and one of the writers and founders of Don't Poke the Bear, the Hertha Berlin site in English. Please welcome to the show, Hertha Berlin fan, Ed Zalaski. Guten Tag, Ed. Guten Tag. Auf, wie geht's? <laughs> sure. I yeah. said everything right. That's all I meant yeah. to me. I yeah. hope I said everything right. Um, that is the extent of the, my German, and I'm thrilled to have you on. Uh, as about two seasons ago, I started following this team thanks to Christoph Piontek, when he was traded to the team for AC Milan <laughs> to make room for Zlatan Ibrahimovic. I told you before we began, oh there is God. a dumb reason why I follow Hertha. <laughs> that is it. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. No, so it, I, I watch um, I watch Polish soccer as well. And I remember when he first moved to Italy, I was thinking like, okay, why, why are they signing him? He'd always just kind of been like a, I mean, it's not like he was bad in Poland, but I, I don't think anybody would have thought he would uh, explode in Italy. And then we spent, oh God, I, 26, 25 million euro, I think yeah. on him at Hertha is uh, just something absurd. Uh, that was right before Klinsman, uh, Jürgen Klinsman got shown the door and uh, then COVID and we uh, lost a lot of money. Uh, signing a lot of really bad players on really high salaries. <laughs> so, as a Milan fan, I thank you because you helped balance our books and made room for Zlatan. Piontek, I will say, though, for all you can say, whatever you want, for that one season in Italy where he spent half the year in Genoa and the yeah. other half at Milan, um, the Pistolero, un yeah. unbelievable, just on fire, worth every penny, um, and truly, truly, truly was someone who I fell in love watching. I could, I was the first time in a long time where we had a striker that not only had the swagger and charisma, I sat there going, everyone's talking about this Holland kid from Norway, but Piontek from Poland, he's going to be the next Lewandowski. Well, obviously history has been written and we know the outcome of this. So I, I, I think a lot of his too, it, it was confidence and he kind of got thrown into a hair to team that didn't, he didn't fit into the system because he, I mean, you know, he really relies on service. He's not going to be a player that goes out and creates chances for himself and the way the team was assembled. And I mean, to, to a great extent, it's still ex uh, assembled. It, it wasn't built for that where it was a team of individuals and there was a lot of individual quality. I mean, he's not, he's not a bad player. There's a reason why he scored that many goals, but he, I wanted it to work. I wanted it to work, but man, it, he did not fit at all, at all. I, I wanted it to work. I still kind of have weird hopes and aspirations for him. It hasn't worked anywhere else, even when he left Hertha. Well, he's still only on loan. Oh, so he's, he's still on loan. Oh, I didn't realize. Okay. He's coming back this summer in oh. theory. Well, which, he hasn't done much at Salernitania where he's at. Yeah, I know, I know. And that's the problem. So if we do end up getting relegated again, he is coming back with I mean, he's one of our highest earners and he hasn't reproduced, you know, he hasn't reproduced that form. And I don't think he's going to want to play in the second division in Germany. So we got a lot of fun. It's a, it's a lot of fun. 
Uh, so it's this, always this fun. is a great way to start everything <laughs> off. Mind you, we're only just a couple minutes in, and it's already time for a drink. Um, yeah. But I got to ask now. We've already talked about just a very one player kind of symbolizing all of the faults at Hertha Berlin. But how did you become a Hertha fan? So I've always been interested in Germany. So uh, my mom lived in Germany. Um, my dad would go to Germany for work. And so like a lot of Americans that, that got into soccer back in the day, for me, it was through FIFA, though for me, it was FIFA 2000 with Eddie Pope on the cover for a PlayStation one. So it started, you know, I'd always liked the sport, but uh, my dad got me a Manchester United jersey in 1998 uh, when he was traveling for work. And then, you know, I was playing FIFA and I found Hertha you know, just going through the game. My dad had gotten me a Stuttgart jersey from when he had been there for work. So I kind of liked them, but I was just messing around in Germany. And I, I found Hertha. That was actually a year that they qualified for the Champions League. And I, it, it was one of the best teams that they had had. So I started playing as them through that. I, you know, liked them. I didn't really have a team in Germany per se. And then... Uh, my then girlfriend, now wife, we were getting ready to study in Leipzig in 2008 and well, it would have been in 2009. Yeah, it was 2009, but in Christmas, 2008, um, she got me a hair to Jersey for Christmas. And that's what really launched it when we were over there. That was the year that Hertha was really challenging for the champions league and challenging for the title. And it was actually when Jurgen Klinsmann was at Bayern and Bayern was a disaster. Wolfsburg ended up winning the title that year. Got me the jersey. We went and saw them beat Bulkham to nothing in April. And they were just, uh, the, the team was so fun. The team was so fun. Lukas Piszczek was still a winger for the team. Andre Voronin was there on loan from Liverpool. Uh, Patrick Abert was this like young up and coming uh, German winger. He was on one of the, you know, U20, I think it was U20 champions of, you know, Germany when they had this like really great youth program. Uh, Paul Dardai was, you know, the all conquering midfielder. So it was just a lot of fun to watch. And that really got me hooked in. And then funny enough, the year after that, 2009, 2010, we were relegated. Wow. <laughs> You're also mentioning names that I haven't yeah. heard in 20 something years. Yeah. Man. Like, so that's kind of wow. So thank you for that. Yeah. But the it, other one was the, the star striker, other than Andre Voronin, who I, I liked better and actually was just back in Berlin, was Marco Pantelic, this Serbian. Really, I mean, his hair was down past his yeah. shoulders. Guy, he was, he was a fantastic player. He was one of the best strikers, probably, uh, that we have had in the past two decades. Wow. You know, oftentimes, and I'm happy that you pointed, you, you've been putting a lot of things at the forefront of the conversation so that this is making my job very easy. <laughs> but uh, oftentimes, especially nowadays, when people hear Bundesliga, they immediately think Bayern and they go to Dortmund. And yep. this season, though, we're seeing crosstown rivals, Union, I think I'm saying it right. Yeah, you know. Berlin's rise. What do you want people to know about Bundesliga that it is so much more than two teams? And can it be, can it sustain itself to be a much more competitive league in the next few years like it was 
20, 20 years ago, 23 years ago at this point. I think it is going to be difficult because of the way that the finances are set up with uh, the, the way that money is distributed from the league. Bayern have such a built-in advantage that they get more of the TV money. And so uh, no matter what, the Bundesliga is one of these big traditional leagues. All of these clubs are incredibly relevant. It's the best attended league in Europe. Uh, ticket prices are still relatively affordable. I mean, God, when I went and saw Hertha back in 2008 uh, or 2009, it was, I think, maybe 20 euro for a ticket, yeah. you know, and that's that's for a top division game. But with a lot of the way that the clubs are structured in the 50 plus one rule that gives club members a controlling stake, it makes it harder for smaller clubs to get the money to compete with a Bayern with the way that all of the contracts are set up. So there will be times where Bayern will be down, but they will always then be right back up there because they have that, you know, guaranteed financial advantage that the other clubs just don't have. So, I mean, it is really incredible that Union is challenging the way that they are this year because they are ultimately still a small club. Right. Um, I know they like to tout that they officially have more members than Hertha. But if you, so say you were in Berlin and you wanted to go to a Union match, you have to become a member of the club to get a ticket. You don't have to do that at Hertha. So oh. they can, they can juice their numbers a little bit. So, uh, so, all right. So let's play German soccer for dummies for a minute. Yeah. So I'm in, I'm in Berlin. I'm in my Lederhosen. I'm not. I'm not in Lederhosen. Uh, but I'm in Berlin, and I'm walking around, and I'm seeing all the beautiful historic sites, and I'm listening to all the amazing music that has come from there. I've yep. got craft work in my earbuds, and I'm walking around, and I'm going, I want to go to a game today. Both teams are playing. So, but, oh, the time works out that I can catch both. Union's playing in the afternoon, and Hertha's is playing in the evening. We're a hypothetical situation. Right, right. I go to Union Stadium, and they're going to say, Sal, you can't get in. Is what you're telling me. I mean, more or less, yes. Their stadium also is a lot smaller. Um, with oh, wow, that's crazy. With Hertha, we also have a stadium that is way too big. We have a stadium <laughs> right. that is way it's it's way too big for us. And we, but it's also so gorgeous, though. It's so yes, it's it, it's it's incredible. Um, and especially like you know, for me, for Cleveland, Jesse Owens is from Cleveland, and that's where he you know had his. I mean, that's where he made his name. And there's Jesse Owenstrasse right outside, you know, the Olympiastadion. So it's historic, but it's too big. And even when we get good crowds, so we can have a crowd of 50,000 people, but it's a 73,000 seat stadium. So they're still drowned out. You see, whenever I think of that stadium, I immediately recall the 06 World Cup, the final, yep. obviously being Italian. That's a, that that's one of yeah. my favorite places. But the shot, there's there's this shot of Buffon after winning and he kind of has his arms in a Jesus Christ pose and the fireworks going up and the yeah. ring of yeah. the stadium. And I could think of myself like the roofs of stadiums aren't really as iconic as the grounds themselves, but there are certain ones that can yeah. have that. That stadium in Germany is by far and large, probably a top five with that type of roof and that type of just you, you instantly recognizable. Yeah. Um, so but I can go to that stadium and say, I want a ticket and they'll sell it to me is what you're saying. Yes. 
Wow. Yes, you do not have to. I didn't become a club member of Hertha, one, because it's d- difficult as an international mm-hmm. fan to become a club member. I didn't do that until a couple of years ago. Um, and, you know, I've got my certificate actually just sitting on my desk right next to me. That's cool. Uh, but it, you won't have any issues getting a ticket. You can get a ticket without being a club member. It's not, you know, for Union, it's not prohibitive to become a club member, but you still then are officially on their books as a member of the club. Interesting. So it's sort of, if I'm in Cleveland and I want to catch a baseball game with you, we can just walk up and get tickets. You don't have yep. to be. And so it's like, okay, interesting. Yep. And that is something that's unique with Union because most places in the Bundesliga, you do not have to be a member to get a ticket. So this season in particular has been so strange for, I think, for a lot of modern Bundesliga fans because of the fact that, as you said, a smaller team in comparison is really pushing their luck, kind of wrestling with the big giants. It's a David and Goliath situation. But the crosstown rivalries here are staring down at relegation. So what's it been like for you as a fan watching this? It's weird. Um, Union are, I mean, this sounds dismissive, they are a smaller club than Hertha. Part of that is just because of their history with being an East German club. Mm. There also wasn't historically bad blood between the two teams. So that is more of a recent phenomenon. Really. During the East, you know, during when Berlin was split, you had a lot of Hertha fans and Union fans that were friends. There was a friendship between the two clubs. So it's not until Union started working their way up the leagues that it really became a rivalry. There are still older fans that have affection for Union. I did for a really long time. But then I think there have been some sections of their support that kind of started it. trying to make more of a name for themselves and trying to distinguish themselves as under, you know, to get out of Hertha's shadow. And I mean, fair play to them, at least on the the field, they have done an absolutely fantastic job. And I can't, I can't take that away from them. I'm not going to say that it doesn't make me mad, but in terms of Berlin, you will see more Hertha than Union, I will say. Okay. All right, that's okay. That's a fair thing. That's what I would have figured as well. You're coming to us from Ohio, and Ohio has always had a big German and Eastern European population, thanks to immigrants who have moved from there uh, into America. And so, is it when you want to watch a match, Bundesliga match, is there a German presence as there would be? like a German bar here in New York showing the Bundesliga matches or in, I guess, even L.A., but I can speak for New York. Honestly, no, there's not. So I, I live in Cleveland, and there is, you know, historically, my, you know, some heritage Polish, but there isn't, part of that's the the lack of marketing that the Bundesliga did in terms of their international distribution. It was really hard to watch Bundesliga games up until five years ago. So there aren't as many Bundesliga fans, or at least fans that are primarily Bundesliga fans over EPL, 
EPO, <laughs> really, <laughs> where it, it, you just don't have that. But what we do have, at least with Herta, is we have the official North American fan group. And so what it is, we have fans, We and we are an official fan group. Like what that means, we are registered with Herta. We had to give them all of this information. Uh, Brian, I'm the vice president officially. It was just kind of because Brian, our founder, our president, he's based in Houston. He needed somebody to be a vice president. He reached out to me. He has done all of the organizing work. I mean, we have to give like our address, our date of birth, like all of this stuff. I mean, it is very stereotypically German that we have to do to get registered. And so we have both our group chat and then we have a match day chat. So even though I'm not at a bar, I'll be talking with fans in Ottawa, in Toronto, in Houston, in Florida, you know, everywhere in North America. We've had members in Mexico and it is just it it brings us together because it can be hard being a fan of a club like Hertha. You'll see more Bayern fans. Right. I don't see other hair to shirts generally when I am out and about. So it's nice having that community that if something happens, I can send a message in our, uh, you know, WhatsApp chat and we can all debate, you know, whatever it is. That's cool. Okay. So the, the camaraderie is there. It's just all spread out. Yes. So for you now with this team, being so far away from Germany, it's not around the corner, obviously, but everyone being spread out and having like-minded love and affection for this club. Do you find that not only is the sport brought you closer, but what does that mean for you? And what does that signal for like the rest of the league as they open up offices here in New York City, as Byron even has an office in New York City? there's an outreach in the rest of the country that needs to be tapped into. So what would you like to say about that? I think Herta is slowly figuring that out. So they were just here in January of 2023, uh, really extended, you know, winter break because of the world cup. They came over to Florida and we had members that were down there, but I mean, God, one of our guys was just, you know, walking around there. He drove down from Georgia and talking to the head of marketing, to the manager, like running into all the players, just having conversations with them. So they are slowly starting to realize that there is untapped potential in the United States and that there is a market for it. It also helps that we have another American-based private equity group that is investing in the club that was just finalized uh, in early March. So, you know, so this is all things that I think they are realizing that there is an untapped potential there. What it means, especially with relegation, who knows? Hertha typically hasn't been the best at marketing. I know a few seasons ago, our motto was we try, we fail, we win. Uh, Given our recent history, the we win part didn't really apply. Um, they were trying to do that to tie into like the startup base, you know, things in Berlin. And now I think they're finding more of an identity. Part of that is 
leaning into Berlin-based players because we've had a very successful youth academy. Unfortunately, a lot of those players have found great success in places other than Berlin. Um, So we are really trying to focus on that and how to DNA and having, you know, players that have come through the youth system that the, the club means something to. Interesting. You know, for a city with so much history like Berlin and so cosmopolitan and so world renowned, like that's when you when you tell people like, oh, what do you think of Germany? The immediately like that's where they're thinking, you know, Munich will probably be second. Mm-hmm. This team or the teams there haven't really done much in so long. It kind of and not to like maybe because I'm from a big city myself and I don't know, you're expected to win in New York. We haven't won much and a lot of things in a long time, but uh, you know, hey, go Knicks. Um, but uh it's one of these weird anomalies where the fact that a major team major city like Berlin is having a team on the cusp of relegation just doesn't sit right with me. When I just it it feels like an anomaly. It feels like there should be a rescue package somewhere here, right? Like well, it's, it, it's funny that you get into that because a lot of that touches on history. So Berlin is a big city, but it is one of the poorest big cities in Europe. You know, at least amongst you know amongst the major European capitals, it is the poorest European capital, and that's I mean that's part of what has made Berlin a haven for artists historically. I mean, rents and everything. Berlin is very quickly becoming a more expensive city, but because of the divide, because the city was so cut off, I mean, Berlin wasn't the capital again of Germany until the 90s. So a lot of the big West German businesses, they weren't based in Berlin, they were based in the West. So that's why you see all of the historic money in the West where Hertha, we are a big traditional club, but we weren't one of the financial powerhouses because of simply being in Berlin. So there was the joke when Lars Windhorst, who was our last investor, took over and made all of the really splashy signings like Shostov Piantek, where he said that he was going to turn Hertha into a big city club. Right. I remember that. Yeah. (laughs) That has become a meme amongst uh, (laughs) the Hertha support uh, it has really been, and so now we really are going away from like the big city club thing into leaning into being a Berlin team and having a team that represents how incredibly diverse Berlin is. And this is one of the differences between Hertha and Union. So there was a scandal that didn't really get much. Uh, press coverage outside of Germany, but there were essentially racial quotas at Union in their youth teams where they didn't have, you know, they had to have like German names. Whereas, you know, you look at the kids that are coming up through Berlin. So one of our players is now with the German U21s, Jessica Gankam. He's of Cameroonian descent, grew up in Berlin and has been at Hertha since he was six or seven years old so that you know that that's one of the things and it's a club that is becoming what trying to represent what berlin is and berlin is still a it's not as fine it's not the financial powerhouse that you know say munich is gotcha thank you for that um so this now leads me into my next question so 
they made those splashy signings like Kevin Prince Boateng, like Samir Kadera, and it just simply wasn't enough. In fact, kind of dug a bigger hole in the well, whole. Well, with, with Prince, that was him coming home. That was right, him right. coming was back, like- and he was he was doing it specifically to take a more of a behind the scenes role. So this is his last season. This oh, season, okay, okay. He came in knowing that he can't be the player that he was, but he will motivate the players and serve. He really has matured as a player. I know he was a, a hothead, but in the relegation fight in the playoff last season, after we lost the first leg at home mm-hmm. against Hamburg, he th- there was an interview with him on ESPN after we won where he said, you know, the players came to him and they said, you know, he's referring to himself as daddy. You know, they all came to daddy and said, what do we have to do? And he said, well, you know, are we hungry? He said, then let's go eat. And so that Sammy Kadira, that was another one that was just to stop us from getting relegated. That was Felix Maga coming in as the, you know, the white knight who actually fun story. Felix Maga is half Puerto Rican. Oh, that's, okay. That's one that's not as known. His uh, dad was a Puerto Rican soldier, but yeah, he grew up entirely in Germany and, you know, played for the German national teams. But that's that's one that I don't think we see as much in terms of, you know, the Americans abroad. Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, but uh, all of these splashy signings that they made, you know, Dodi Lukabakio, who's doing decently. We signed him for 20 million euros. He hasn't lived up to that. You had Lucas Toussard, who was signed for 27 million euros. He hasn't lived up to that price tag. He's still doing well, but there have been so many players that we signed that didn't fit into a system that we were spending huge money on, and it had no plan, and we wasted all of this money, and then COVID hit, and we couldn't get money from you know Gates, from anything, and it ultimately crippled the club financially to where we are now wow wow do you think also too that leading up to obviously no one expected what would happen with covid but do you think like leading up to that though the board sat there and said look we need to look at ourselves in the mirror and say this is what manchester united is doing on a much bigger scale and it's not working out Maybe we need a coach. Maybe we need, a, uh, you know, a, a tactician, some some sort of central organization where we can morph all this and then trim the fat. Because, look, Ten Hang is now working out at United. Yep. And those splashy signings are paying off. And some of them, right. we're told, there's the door. Cristiano Ronaldo being one of them. Yep. So has Hertha, can Hertha do that? Or is it, this is, it's too late. This season's a wash. That's what we're doing now. So. One of the things is we have turned away from the big city club. We are trying to get rid of all of those players that are on massive wages that never lived up to the billing. We really are a club in transition because we are hurting financially. There were questions if we would get a license for the first or second division uh, if we had not completed the deal with its uh, private equity firm called 777. There, there would have been questions there. So now we're trying to see it. So they had brought in Freddie Bobich previously, who oversaw the rise of Frankfurt into becoming more of a Bundesliga power, maybe not you know, at the level of a Dortmund, but one of those clubs that's right behind them. And it didn't work out. We fired him 
right before the World Cup, I believe. Or no, it was right at it was right after. And now we are trying to do this where we have a system where there is a defined hair to way where we are looking to the academy to bring in players. Part of that's out of necessity. We don't have the money. But that's always been a problem with Hertha is what are we doing? And it feels like there is no central planning. Interesting. Interesting. So how does that make you feel? I'm a Cleveland Browns fan, so I'm just kind of used to it. Um, it's it's it, it, I mean, the, the one thing with Hertha is it's never boring. It's never okay. boring. There is okay. always there's always something. And a lot of times it might make you mad like there are times where i've just walked away because i can't you know like handle it at that moment but there's always something to talk about okay let's talk about the history for a minute maybe because i grew up at the end of the cold war and i vividly remember the berlin wall coming down in 1989 and hertha as you mentioned earlier was on the east side of the city oh we're west union unions east we're we're west we're out in charlottenburg the outer west side so Hertha was in the so Hertha was in West Berlin. Yes, Union's the East German club. Okay. Oh wow. Okay. So now I'm all jumbled up here. So despite the fact that so Union was on the east. Yep. Hertha's on the west. The what was that like? Do you obviously we're about the same age. What was that like though in terms of history when that league was going on during the Cold War and then once the wall fell? Did the team, did it really affect that team in entirety? You know, it really hurt the East German clubs more than it did the West German clubs. Um, We were still, I I mean, Hertha had been a Bundesliga club up and down throughout all of, you know, the era of the Berlin Wall. Uh, There was one (laughs) fun story of, during the 60s, there was you know, Hertha got relegated and there was no Berlin club in the Bundesliga. So they forced up Tasmania Berlin and they set a record for being the worst club in Bundesliga history. They were absolutely I, terrible. They were absolutely terrible. But really, after the wall fell and in the, the leading up to that, all of the West German clubs basically stole all of the good players from East Germany for really low transfer fees. And they threw all of these East German clubs into the system and basically forced them to operate on the free market where they had never been. They had always been propped up by the government. So that's why you still see this big divide in the Bundesliga where Union really are the only true East German club in the Bundesliga. Like uh, Red Bull Leipzig, whatever they want to call themselves, Rosenball Sport League, they're Red Bull Leipzig. They aren't obviously they aren't built on a traditional East German club. They're built on a village team that they took over the license for right. and promoted themselves up. Energie Cottbus had played in the Bundesliga. Dinamo Dresden, all of these like big names in East German soccer fell by the wayside after the wall fell because they were not financially prepared. And it's the same that goes for the rest of East Germany as a whole. East Germany is sure. poor. It's still, the divide still exists unofficially, you know, just because of how reintegration worked. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, 
I want to feel, I feel that there's some sort of Hollywood movie here that we just don't know about. There's got to be some sort of untold story where they had to take some players from the East and say, hey, the wall's still up. We're going to disguise you in Hertha uniform. <laughs> and, you know, we're going to get away from the Stasi. And but, you're going to But this play. is why there was such a friendship between the clubs. So they would play, you know, like after, you know, the wall fell, they played this friendly where there were there was really good relations between these two because Union was the club more of the people in East Germany and East Berlin and Hertha was the club of West Berlin. So you had Hertha fans that were still stuck on East Berlin, whether, you know, there wasn't this hatred or animosity that there is now. Interesting. Wow. This is, you're right. It's never boring. Yeah. It's never boring. I mean, you had people in the East that would, you know, go to where they had to so they could get radio signals of Hertha broadcasts. Uh, Hertha and Union historically are friendly clubs. And that's why what it is now is so wild. You talk about a Hollywood story. There's actually a a behind-the-scenes film that they did about Hertha that uh, Lars Ventors, our previous investor, had commissioned. He blocked it from coming out because he didn't like how it turned out. It was supposed to air on Amazon, and it will never see the light of day because he stopped it. It was completely filmed, shot, all of this. And what was the film about? It was like, you know, one of the classic, you know, behind the scenes. Oh, I see, I see. Oh, like a documentary. All all or nothing, like one of those. Okay. Yep. Wow, wow. It's it's wild though to hear this and like to put the history in perspective though because it's and now it just sounds like sibling yeah. rivalry. It sounds like Liam and Noel Gallagher. It's like you know they grew up together and now right. they don't. You know, yeah, so, that's a, that's a good analogy. I had never thought of it like that. Sorry, man. If I can, anytime I can bring up Oasis, I will. Um, yeah, in any in any in any facet of my life, I will. Uh, and anyone that listens to this podcast knows that. But <laughs> I I feel bad for everybody. But um. Hey, you also are clicking play. You didn't have to do this. exactly. Well, now they're gonna get to listen to me drone on and on about it. Right, so. I'm finding it interesting. Um, and when I'm interested, you're all a fucked. That's it. Because now all the <laughs> questions come. So now, when and when you talk about animosity among the two Berlin sides, what is it? Is it because when I th- look, you're telling animosity to an Italian here. So when I think animosity, I immediately think of like Roma Lazio, where it's knives out or Milan Inter where they're you know throwing things at each other but it's a respected rivalry because they share the same stadium but Roma Lazio is a completely different unhinged holy yeah, it's, shit, it's not watch that your life. It's, okay it's it's not that it's not that <sighs> there are elements of the support that will still fight but a lot of it is <sighs> you know I... It's not because we share the same stadium, but it's 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 there's bad blood. There is bad blood, undoubtedly, between the two clubs now. I don't think it will ever get Roma Lazio. I don't think we will get there. Hopefully, we don't. You don't I want that. Yeah, no, you don't. Um, but you still see. I mean, even in the players now, you will see it between them wow. and the fight. So. Is there a it's jealousy there. factor that plays in now that Union is a top five club and Hertha is a bottom five club? I, yeah, I mean that they 
definitely get to use that and throw it in our faces, especially after we spent all of that money on players and had these guys on big wages and union really can't, I mean, they could never afford to pay those transfer fees. Like they would never pay 27 million Euro on a player. I think they just broke their record with uh, Joseph Juranovic and he was 10 million Euro. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Which I mean, that's, that's not an insignificant fee, especially for a Bundesliga club, but that's not what we were paying. So yeah, I mean, they, they get to throw that in our faces and it's, (laughs) it's not fun. So let's talk math for a hot sec, though. Let's just say Union becomes a team that qualifies for Champions League. It's looking like they might. By the time this podcast airs, we will know the answer to this. But let's just say, hypothetically, a team like that does qualify for Champions League. And they get Champions League money for qualifying. How does that money get distributed, then? Since With the 50 plus one rule. And so, obviously, those investors don't pocket the cash, right? Like, No, 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 no. So... The way the, the money would still stay in the club, that money would stay, it would get invested into the club if they can get Champions League money. That would be, I mean, massive for them because they still aren't in the best shape financially. I mean, they are in better shape than we are, but they are still, they have a smaller budget simply from the fact that they have a smaller stadium. Right. Um, but, it, I mean, Champions League money would make a huge difference for a club like Union. It would wow. absolutely make a huge difference. Because okay. I've always been curious, you know, with the 50 plus one rule, and and even in Spain, too, the Socios own, you know, part of the teams as well. But, you know, Madrid and Barca, they're such powerhouses, and Atletico now is a powerhouse. So it's you see where that money gets invested because it goes to... Well, you, would see, you, you would see where the money gets invested because... Every you have your annual meeting, like any shareholder, you have the annual meeting, and they go over all of these things. I mean, uh, you can, uh, as a Herta member, I could watch the Herta annual meeting. Mm, gotcha. You know whether I want to or not. I, 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 you have to, you know, have the appetite for the corporate form, and especially its German intricacies. But no, the, the, there are. It does get a little more complicated with the way that the outside investors do buy in because they buy into a separate business that gets like the media rights. So that's how you are seeing these outside investors come into the Bundesliga. But it's complicated. I don't fully understand all of the intricacies of it, which I. I should understand more because I work in the financial services industry and in private equity. It just sounds but, like a money laundering operation at the end of the day. It, let's put the but it, it, it's because you can't have any one individual control, control more than 49.9% of the voting blocks of the actual club, but they can control the other separate entity where revenues go through. Wow. Yeah. Look, I will say this. As complicated as it is, and it's math that is far beyond my own comprehension. Um maybe maybe not yours. You said you work in the finance sector. This is this is all this is all up your Yeah, but I'm I'm a lawyer. I'm a lawyer by background. So I was I'm not doing all the business. Good, good, good. Okay. (laughs) But I will say this seeing other leagues where this isn't a thing and seeing other teams. Especially, you know, again, I'll use Italy as an example. It sort of is my go-to because it's what I know. In the CDA, I mean, how many, how often is it that teams are just can't afford anything? 
I mean, Milan was AC Milan was in the yeah. books in the red for so long that they needed to have a hedge fund bailed out. Elliot, yeah, Elliot, baby. And look, they've done wonders. They've done wonders. I speak no ills of Elliot. Uh, but now Inter is getting themselves in a financial hole. Juve is in a financial hole. Mm-hmm. Napoli is turning and keeping a budget and being in the green and not in a financial hole. And that's thanks in part to their eccentric owner buying low and selling very, very high. But then you also see historic clubs just disappear. You know, Palermo mm-hmm. yeah. is now bought by the city group. Yeah. And after, you know, going down five divisions and I mean, look at Bari, Bari you know, they, 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 a stadium that hosted the world cup in yes. 1990. How many times have they gone bust and reform since? Regina, which was owned yep. by Mike Piazza. We talked about baseball earlier. <laughs> so it's it's crazy that I I see not yearly, but bi-yearly teams just disappear. They don't exist anymore. And it's a conglomerate that comes, whatever. But at least in Germany, those teams are still waving their own flag. I kind of despite the fact they might not be in the Bayern riches, but they're sustaining. And are and are still around. Hertha is not Hertha presented by I don't know ice mineral water or whatever. Like I don't. know. I'm mm-hmm. trying to think of like a sponsor here. They're not Red Bull Leipzig, is what it is. Yeah. They're you know. So well, the, it, it, I yes, I don't think there's really much appetite in Germany to relax those rules, and I don't I don't think the fans would go for it because it is very based on tradition, and the. The Bundesliga, like, they think it is important to have fans in the stadium for the fans to have their say. It is a fan-friendly league. You know, you can still afford to take your family to a game and, you know, buy food. Or, you know, if you can go and stand on a terrace and pay 15 euro and not have to, you know, pay Premier League prices. So maybe your club isn't as successful in Europe. Maybe the level of play, you know, at least in terms of the big four leagues, maybe you're in fourth place amongst them. But you're still maintaining that independence and the cultural traditions of those clubs. It's such a German thing. And it's a modern German thing. There's democracy and there is structure and there is tradition and it can and look, and if you do it right, like Bayern has and Dortmund has, it's a real beautiful, successful model. Well, it's not that long ago that Dortmund was. I mean, Dortmund was on the verge of bankruptcy. Yeah. It took a loan for. I mean, it took a loan from Bayern Munich that helped save them. But you know, in Germany, you don't see those clubs going bust right the way you do in in italy so i mean yes there are phoenix clubs that had to reform but those are few and far between whereas like i don't know as i said like every two years i'm seeing this happen over and over again it's in 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 the italian league and it's you know you were seeing it in greece you can even see it in portugal it's napoli's a reformed version of what they were oh 100 they are yeah and that's and it's wild that it's taken almost 20 years under the De Laurentiis reign for them to get as far as they have in Champions League. By the time, again, this podcast airs, we will know who won the Scudetto and we will know where Napoli went in Champions League. Um, but it it's really, it also like shows just how difficult it is 
and they've had Edison Cavani and Lavezzi yeah. and Iguain and Insigne and Dries Mertens and Hamsik. So it's just the list goes on and on and on and on and on that now here's where they are. And yeah. it's really beautiful to see. Uh, Ed, I love chatting with you. This has been a wonderful education. I'm not done yet. <laughs> but I have been spoiled because I've been following your website. I've been following what you've been doing on Don't Poke the Bear. Thank you for also correcting me earlier. Because <laughs> the, the, this entire time I've been calling it Don't Poke the Bar. Uh, but how did that come about? How did Don't Poke the Bear come about? And why did you feel it was important to bring Hertha to an English audience and share your passion? It came about from the Hertha North America group. So Joe, the other host, he, so I live in Cleveland. He lives in Cincinnati. And so we were just in the group and he approached me. He's like, Hey, do you want to do this? Well, sure. I, I love talking about Hertha. My undergraduate degree was in journalism. I'm not using that anymore. So I thought it would be a, a fun little way to get back into it. And that that's really how it started. We did it because there's still isn't as much English language coverage of the Bundesliga. And so there, there is a hell of a lot more than there was 15 years ago. But for some of the more mid-table teams, you don't get it as much. So Hertha, we are a big team in Germany, but we aren't internationally. So we aren't going to get like the coverage that a Bayern or a Dortmund or even like a Frankfurt well, right. you know, right. simply from playing regularly in European competitions. So that's that's what started it. And it was just I mean, it's it's fun to complain about the club you support and the terrible things that, you know, they decide to do. And yeah, you just wanted an outlet to talk about how great Pyeongtaek was. Like, come on. Let, let, I wanted I wanted him to do so well. I was so excited. I, wa I wanted him to do so well. And my God, he just could never get going. I have never seen a player in my lifetime where they've had one of the most blockbuster seasons, life-changing seasons to go from, to jump from a three-quarter table club, okay, to one of the big boys and continue that momentum and then just, just lose it. I will say he always has done really well for me for Hertha and football manager, so... <laughs> Okay. It, it, at least he did that, but man, just could not do it in real life. Just could not. Now time for a coffee break. Curva Mundial is sponsored by Mod Cup Coffee in Jersey City, but you can get it anywhere in the world from ModCup.com. Mod Cup, drink modern coffee. Use code Mundial for 10% off your first order. We're coming up on my favorite part of the podcast now. This is three rapid fire questions that I ask every single guest. So we're going to start off. First one. If you can bring back one former player to your club, alive or dead, former head of the player, who would it be and why? Oh. So I am going to go on the fact that we... That's hard because we probably need a striker more than anything right now. We cannot score goals reliably. So I will say in his prime, at least from the players that I have seen, Marco Pantelic. Ooh, okay. Otherwise, I would probably say Marcelinho, who was this Brazilian attacking midfielder that we had 
and in you know the the 2000s absolutely phenomenal he was an incredible player incredibly talented but i think we need more help up top so that's mm-hmm. just and i mean pantelich is one of my favorite players <laughs> so hey your question it's your answer i love it yeah so money is not an option here you've got more money than psg more money than city more money than ronaldo makes in an hour at al nasir and if Hertha could sign one player today who would it be and why so it's funny based on what we were talking about so you could go back to the Hertha north america group and there's been one player that i have said that i wanted us to sign for years when he was still playing at a uh, mid-sized club in a not so fancied league who do you think that would be not so fancy league mid-size now is this club is this fancy not so fancy league in europe or is it in south america it's in europe it's in europe and he plays for a club we were discussing earlier oh man you're turning the tricks on the host. This is the turn of the tables on me. So, <laughs> all right, we talked. This about- this is just funny because I, honest to God, for years have before he like blew up at this this club. Now I had wanted us to sign him. I almost said his name right there. Mid mid-sized little club. It's in Europe. Yep. I mean, I'm trying to think of like what we've got. We didn't talk about Greece. We didn't talk about Portugal. So we talked a little bit about Spain. We talked Italy, and we talked. Okay. I'm going to just throw out a name right now. All right. I don't think this is the answer, but maybe because we, I don't know, maybe because I just referenced Greece a couple second minutes ago. I don't know. Maybe. I'm just drunk, man. I don't know what I want to say. Hamas Rodriguez, but I don't think that that's your answer. No. Kavicha. Cards, Kalia. Oh! I want when he was at Ruben, Ruben Kazan. I I remember to, I always signed him in Football Manager as well. I just remember telling people, you know, this kid is going to be huge. This kid is going to be Anadonna, huge. baby. Yeah, yeah. I love I love him. I love I, that's in a heartbeat. So, okay. Now, normally, I just go right to my next question. But since you have followed his career long before this breakout blockbuster, beautiful, gorgeous, every superlative season at Napoli, Gracelia, so how did he come on your radar? You said football manager, but like, how did how did he really, like, how did you manifest the idea that this guy, this kid is going to be a star when he was playing in virtually Siberia a year ago? So he came up through Dinamo Tbilisi, and they are obviously a powerhouse. I am always been fascinated by Central and Eastern Europe. So fun fact, the Georgian Premier League, every single game streams for free on YouTube. So if you ever, you know, need to watch some soccer, that's always available. So I I also followed Dinamo Tbilisi on Twitter, and they obviously were one of the big European powerhouses back in you know the pre-champions league era i i remember him coming up there and then him playing in russia and just seeing video clips of him and the things that he could do and he didn't really do it consistently playing in russia but he was like the stereotypical georgian player where he could just incredible technical still and just kind of mercurial you know he could turn it on or turn it off and 
I mean, now you see he's just turned it on and it has not gone off. And it's just that I would sign him in a heartbeat, any amount of money. If money was not an object, I would make it fit into a system for Hertha. I would build an entire team around him. I want to buy a team with no money because I don't have any. And I want to hire you as a scout because to have that <laughs> foresight and see that because truly like I said, you can go back and listen to previous episodes of this podcast. And I am not, this is not a podcast where we talk about transfers and, but I was recording an episode with, and I'll tell you the guest, it was Dylan Fearon. We were recording an episode. Uh, it was the day the transfer window was closing. He's an Everton supporter. He's a friend of mine. We were, And we were talking about, and it just it happened to come up because as we were recording the episode, the windows in Europe were closing. Every door was shut. Like, okay, this is the last day for last hour for the transfers. Who's going to get what? And I said, man, Napoli's done nothing this year. And it's <laughs> pissing me off because, like, look, I'm not a Napoli, but I want that team to do well. Those fans deserve it. The Spirit of Maradona deserves it. And I'm just sitting there going... I just don't think that they're going to do anything. But they signed this Georgian kid who in a month has been great. And I was afraid he would pull a Piontic where like, that's it. He's going to be great for a couple months. And then we're going to see him disappear. I, they are pound for pound, the best team I've seen in 20 years. And I, what's funny yeah. is, is that three years ago, I said the same thing about Atalanta. Atalanta is the best financially run club. Yes. In Europe, bar none. They're, but Napoli this season is the most entertaining team I have seen in over 20 years. Yeah. I, it is must-see TV. And I am so happy that not only you can recognize that, but the fact that you recognize his talent. So, again, you said he could turn it on, turn it off. Were you – now, do you see him having a future that everyone is talking about? Or do you see this as it depends on the club and it depends on the position? Because you know a lot more about him than I have, and I've been watching him for nine months now, ten months. I, I think he's going to – That's. I think he is just that good. I think he is just that good. I mean, obviously, you could go to the wrong club. You can make the wrong choice. But he has so much technical ability. I, I think wherever he goes when he inevitably leaves Napoli, mm -hmm. and if only that would be Hertha, he'll be phenomenal. He'll be phenomenal. He's just such a fun player to watch, and I would love to have him in uh, the blue and white of Hertha as opposed to the blue and white of Napoli. <laughs> uh, you're right. He is a fun player to watch. He is also just – he just seems to be just such a level-headed human being. Like, yeah. none of this – and Victor Osiman, too. Like, the both of yeah. them are just so even keel that, yep, we go to church, we go out to dinner, we go home. Yep. And we fly around on the weekends, you know, whatever, when we have a moment right. to, like, not play. Uh, and finally, this is the last question. What has been your favorite moment as a fan of this team? My favorite moment? Honestly, I'll go with one of the first moments that really made me fall in love with the club, and that was going to the game in Balcom in 2009. So we were in the middle of the title challenge. The Olympia Stadion was sold out. It was a beautiful spring day, blue skies, big white clouds. And Hertha just dominated, was the better team, and we won. And it looked like we were going to chat. You know, we we really could have won the title that year. We ended up fourth. That's my favorite memory. And I love it. It, it oh, was it was incredible. It was incredible. 
what's it like walking into that stadium? I'm lying. That wasn't my last question. This might be my last question. Um, what's it like being in that stadium? Because as you said, Jesse Owens, that 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 stadium houses history more than most museums. And it's what's phenomenal. it like just walking in there, man? It's just phenomenal. It's I mean, that's the one thing that I hate if we get our own stadium. We we lose that, but it, it was just great. It was amazing. It was amazing. I mean, it, it it helped that it was like a perfect day. We were good, but you feel the history. You feel the history. I can't think of a better way to end it. Ed, thank you so much. Uh, where can people follow Don't Poke the Bear? Where can they follow you? So you can follow us on twitter and i am going to pull up the exact handle because i have said it wrong before and that makes me feel really dumb it is bearcast all one word b-e-a-r-c-a-s-t 1892 we have not been as active recording but that's also because we both have small kids and i was worried that i was going to be late because i have a very sick son who then just you know didn't want to go to bed um but life has gotten in the way, so we're we're a little behind. But yeah, Bearcast eighteen ninety two. We'll still we're still active on Twitter. You can follow me at Ed Zelaski, all one word, E D Z E L A S K I. And I will also say, if you're looking at becoming a Hertha fan, there is no better place to follow than our official fan group. It is Hertha underscore N O R A M. Hertha Nor Am. That's easy to remember. Yes. Thank you so much, my friend. Thank you so much for having me. This is this is a lot of fun. Follow us on Twitter at Curva Mundial Pod and subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening.